Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Welcome once again to the Pilot's Advisor podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Ryan Fleming. Ryan, how are you this week? Good morning, Walter. I'm doing okay because I got a little bit of a go-go juice or coffee this morning. <laughs> what kind of coffee you got this morning? Just the plain old Jane or anything fancy? No, it's something my wife likes. I just kind of roll with the flow. She found some organic coffee that she likes, and I just grab what's ever in the cabinet. Whatever's there. Yeah, I've always been kind of a whatever's there, but lately I've been going to a local shop that's bringing in like, you know, the fair trade, this and that with the hints of this and that. And interestingly, mine has a hint of strawberry flavor in it this morning. It was quite Look interesting. Look at you. I, I mean, it's, it's, I only have like three choices when I go there. And so I was like, well, let's try something different. But uh, it was See, not bad. It was not bad. Unfortunately, me being a financial advisor, I have to push against, you know, you getting your coffee at a uh, Fufu coffee place because, you know, those costs add up. I don't know if it's the Starbucks $8 coffee or no, not. But so I, you know, I always have to, to actually, talk about Actually, you'd be proud. I have pulled away from the frou-frou coffee. So I've I've cut out the lattes and the mochas and the $5, $6 drinks. So it's just a basic cup of coffee. It just happens to have some notes of these other flavors in it. So Well, perfect. It, I think it was a $2 cup of coffee, so still a little more than making it at home. But, you know, it's kind of part of the morning routine. You wake up, you say hi to some people, and you come into the office. But No, totally. And, you know, I look at that $2 coffee, that's sustainable. And, you know, it goes back to the other side of you got to live a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I hear you loud and clear on the uh, $6 and $8 lattes that it was just getting to be too much. So we're trying to practice some sound financial principles here, and that'll be something that we talk about on today's show. In fact, our main topic today is talking about how even responsible savers – make mistakes. And we're talking about bigger mistakes maybe than, you know, ordering too expensive of a coffee each morning. I think even for people who are very responsible with their money over the years, Ryan, I'm sure you've seen this many times in your experience, entering retirement, they can, you know, there can still be challenges because it's a different stage of life. And sometimes people still take missteps during that phase. So I want to talk about some of those missteps that you've seen, even for responsible savers. Is sometimes, Ryan, folks get too enamored with cash. Have you seen that before? I have. I've heard this so many times from different clients where they say cash is king. And, you know, it's great to have some liquid assets or some stuff to pull from when the market's down. So you're not like selling at a loss or, or uh, you know, selling while it's low to sustain life. But the problem with cash is we're using this nest egg or this snowball to continue to grow to help you in retirement. And when you're having cash, you're just losing your buying power the whole time. And we call it in the industry, we call it uh, going broke very safely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people feel comfort in cash. Is that why they flock to it? Just having all of that on hand? I'm not really sure. I mean, I think, you know, the new thing now, you see all these commercials, you know, with the fear that's out there and the uncertainty, you know, to, to invest in gold. And, you know, I think gold's the most basic form of currency. And that's even, I probably, even below cash. We have probably one of the most stable monetary systems. And, you know, our, the American dollars around the world is viewed as very stable. So we're very lucky in this country. But I, I can only imagine when you could think about the cash or currencies of some of these other countries where, 
overnight with inflation and some other things that are going on, it's virtually worthless. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how uh, those principles actually kind of follow one another, sort of the opinions and thoughts of, of gold sort of also maybe playing into why people go into too much cash. Maybe they don't want to go the gold route, but those same feelings, I guess, are at play between the two. So that's certainly one mistake that responsible savers make, getting too enamored with cash. And that phrase, going broke safely, is the result in what happens if you're not careful. There's also the fact that responsible savers, uh, they may still take way too much risk as they approach retirement. They were risky when they were younger, Ryan, and then I guess they never really adjusted or changed. Yeah, I'd say that happens a lot. And especially, you know, maybe uh, two years going into retirement, two years out from retirement, you really need to start analyzing this risk tolerance a little bit more in detail because you, you still need some exposure to stocks to grow that snowball can continue to grow those retirement assets. But there's something called sequence of returns risk, which really puts retirees in a bad spot. And I think I probably need to break that down for you, huh? Yeah, that'd be helpful. Sequence of returns. It sounds like a big buzzword. Well, once you go into retirement, most people look at it from either an annual or a monthly budget that they have, a set number that they need. And what happens is, regardless of what's going on in the marketplace, they have to pull that cash for their living expenses each month, which means we need to sell something in their portfolio to get that distribution to their bank so that they can pay their bills and, and live. Well, the problem is if a person goes into retirement and the market's down, we're in a position where we have to sell a lot more stuff to still produce that same amount of cash. And say that sequence of those returns, say the market's down for two or three years in a row. So they're continuing to sell more and more of their quote stuff to produce that monthly income versus if the market's up, we have to sell a lot less to still get that same amount of cash. So that sequence of returns, if you retire in a down market, or a market that's going to be down for you know a few years, which we never know what it's going to do, can really, really hurt an investor at the very start of their um, retirement when it's most important. All things being equal, obviously, there could be other factors in play here that might change the answer, but all things being equal, you're saying if the market is down your first couple of years of retirement, it's a much worse situation than if you had a down market, let's say, 10 or 15 years into retirement. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, it has nothing to do with your age. It has to do with your need for the cash. But that's why most people, when they enter retirement or getting close to retirement, we talk about pulling the throttles back. And what I mean by that is becoming less risky, having a less aggressive portfolio, a portfolio that is not so much invested in just equities or stocks, but actually having a lot more fixed income or bonds in that portfolio. Because what that does is it reduces the volatility. So if the market's up, it doesn't go up as much. And if it's down, it doesn't go down as much. So too much risk leads you to the potential of being exposed to that sequence of returns risk specifically, uh, where you could have a down market really impact your retirement right out of the gate. I think this is something that we saw a lot back in 2007, 2008 timeframe, Ryan. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of people can't control what the market's going to do when they retire, but what you have to do is be prepared to adjust accordingly. Yeah, a lot of people got hit hard, as we know, during the economic crisis there, but those who had just retired were really exposed to a lot of that downside risk. And uh, the sequence of returns was just a, not a buzzword or a term that they wanted to hear during that time. The good news is you can kind of prevent against these things, but it takes proper planning as always. Another mistake that responsible savers often make is they forget about the ticking tax time bomb. What is that, Ryan? 
Well, this is something that I think is huge and has become more and more of a topic in today's environment. So when you contribute to a 401k, there's a lot of tax deferred upside, meaning that you can, whatever money you contribute, you can take that money and reduce it from your adjustable gross income. And what the government's basically saying is, hey, you can keep investing this money and we're going to let it grow to a large amount. But at that point in time that it has grown to a large amount, we want our cut of this money now. And so you're basically going to be paying taxes on a much larger amount. And at 70 and a half, there's something called RMDs, Required Minimum Distribution. And this is basically our government saying to that investor that they allowed their money to grow tax deferred. They're saying, hey, time to pay up. We're partners and whatever the tax rate is that you fall under at that time, we get 30% or 25% or whatever your tax bracket is, but it's time to, to pay us. And if you have a massive 401k that you put all your money in, tax deferred, that RMD might be a large, large amount that you're really not ready to don't not only take out, but to pay taxes on as well. My uh, high school cross-country coach and also math teacher, awesome guy, military background as well. And he used to say all the time, his, one of his favorite phrases, pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> and he always meant you can do the time now, you can do the work now and, and do the painful part of the workout now, or you can do it at the end of the, you know, at the end of the run or the end of the workout, whatever the bonus, you know, exercise was that day to challenge us. And he would always say, pay me now or pay me later, but you got to pay me. And uh, the government follows the same principles. Well, absolutely. And I think this should be a whole different discussion that we should probably have on a podcast or a segment is the Roth IRA versus the, the normal IRA, because there's a lot of issues that I think are very pertinent to right now in today's environment. And as far as your teacher going, pay me now or pay me later, I don't know why, but it just makes me think of all my military training and going through basic training and all that, or even athletics, that the pain is only the weakness leaving your body. I like that. Yeah, I'm sure he yelled that at us at one point in time. It probably just went in one ear and out the other ear as we were doing circuit training in the yard or something like that. <laughs> well, and you know, like all these, you know, we're both pretty much uh, big sports fans, but that's why you train so hard is because if it hurts at practice and you get in better shape, by the time you're doing it in a game, it doesn't hurt so bad. Yeah, you're exactly right. I went from a uh, overweight, soft, uh, you know, whatever of a sophomore to a uh, you know pretty in shape running fast. I, now I was never the uh, elite runner, just not built that way. But man, I got in pretty darn good shape after just a couple of months of working out under him. So that was uh, it was a good experience, and uh, it, it always pays to pay now or later. But you've got to make the choice of which one you want to want to do there. Uh, and in the financial side of things, it certainly has big impacts whether you pay now or pay later. And you got to make the best decision for you. And so good teaser there, Ryan. On a future show, we'll get into that Roth versus non-Roth debate a little bit further. Uh, last but not least, one other little example here of how we see responsible savers make mistakes. So just because you've been great with your finances and your money for 20, 30 years or more doesn't necessarily mean you're going to avoid mistakes at the tail end of the process. And this is actually an interesting one to kind of end the thought on. A lot of people, because they've been such responsible savers, Ryan, they forget to live a little. They forget to every once in a while, to go back to how we started the show, you know, get that mocha or you know that, that extra latte instead of the normal coffee every once in a while. They, they need to live a little. Well, Walter, I'll be honest with you. This is one that I've had trouble with until recently. I think that, you know, because of the way I grew up, um, I've just been a very, very dedicated and disciplined saver for so, so many years. 
but I'm finally getting to that point where I realize I'm probably a little bit ahead of the game on saving or I've done while I was young and I'm getting a little bit better at smelling the roses and trying to live a little bit, you know, with my children while they're at these perfect ages of 10 and seven. And I wasn't very good at that before because ultimately, you know, you can save all the money in the world and you might not be here tomorrow. And so there is that balance and I'm, you know, we're not talking about going crazy, but you have to live life because if you're not living life, none of this is worth it. You know, my folks are approaching retirement. They're within a couple of years of it now. It seems like it's just around the corner. And not to, uh, you know, tattletale on my mom a little bit here, but she's such a hard worker. She's got such an incredible work ethic, but she's kind of just like, I'm going to burn myself out these last few years so that I can earn you know, that nice retirement. And finally, just it's okay if I'm burned out at the end, I'll reach the finish line, then I'll relax. And I'm always trying to talk her into enjoying a little bit, smelling those roses as she's going through these final few years and realizing that, you know, you don't have to necessarily put in the 80 hour weeks right now. You've already kind of reached the finish line. You're okay. You can still spend a little and go on a trip and not be afraid to do some of those things. But I think she's just had that same mentality for so many years. She'd kind of fall into this segment of folks who just have trouble spending that money and pulling that foot off the pedal. Maybe it's something generational where they just feel like they can't do that. They've got to keep it all the way down to the floor until they hit that retirement date. There can't be the, that kind of mix of the, the work and the play that I think maybe our generation, Ryan, has you know embraced a little bit more of that work hard, play hard at the same time sort of mentality. Well, and I agree. And I think it brings up two interesting points that you know I think about is a lot of these retirees try to kind of look at it on a 30-year picture and, and what their budget's going to be through retirement. And the reality is, in a lot of cases, you might only have 10 years of really what they call the go-go years in retirement, where from a uh, health and medical standpoint, you're able to go and do all these things. So as you go on, your healthcare costs are going to continue to increase, but you're actually going to start spending less and less and less money because you're just not going to be as mobile as you used to. So that's another thing that you kind of got have to consider in retirement. And then another aspect that I see more and more, I'm taking Uber a lot from the airport to home and stuff like that. I'm in Ubers a lot. And I've found that more and more retirees are Ubering and not only just for spending cash, so they're not dipping so much into the retirement savings, but also just to get out of the house and do something to still have purpose. And you'd be amazed at how many Ubers I get into. And it's a retired gentleman or a retired woman who, you know, they're retired, but they're using it as a, something to do to meet people, to get out there and also to uh, have a little bit of spending cash. Yeah, you're right. I was in uh, Cincinnati just a couple of weeks ago, and that was the exact uh, situation that we were in when we took an Uber out one of the afternoons and uh, talked to the lady driving the car. And she was a retired nurse, but just liked to do this for, you know, 10 or 15 hours a week, one or two days a week. She'd go out for a couple of hours and do it just to get a little extra spending cash. It wasn't that so much she needed it. She just liked talking to people and introducing people to the city. And it was just sort of something fun for her to do once or twice a week. And she, I guess, you know, had been a nurse, but she also kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit. And that was sort of her way of living that out. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And, and I love that, you know, people are getting out and being active because it's only going to help them live, you know, longer, not only live longer, but also extend their retirement savings. However, I have been in a few Ubers where they probably shouldn't be driving anymore. And that's not a good thing. <laughs> another conversation for another day. That's for sure. But there you have it. Some responsible savers, some good examples for you down the line there of folks who have been great saving money their entire lives, but still some mistakes that often get made at that retirement kind of decision, that retirement phase of life as you approach that part of your life. There are missteps that can be made even from responsible savers. So keep those in mind 
as you prepare and as you plan. Ryan, if somebody has questions about this, maybe they think they are at risk of making one of these mistakes or it's another misstep that they've seen somebody that they know make and they want to make sure that they don't repeat history and don't make that same mistake. How does it work with you? I know you work with pilots all across the country and you're flying all over the world as an active pilot while also serving as a financial advisor to clients. So how does the process work with you? Is it a digital meeting? Do people come into the office uh, there in South Carolina to meet with you? Are you meeting in airports across the country? Just give us a peek under the hood, if you will. Well, Walter, it's always different. I mean, on the road, I meet with many pilots. Some people just contact me over email to start a conversation and we'll set up a phone call. But a lot of it is, you know, once I do get in contact with an individual, it's talking about their situation. Then they end up talking about their portfolio. And what I will do is I'll analyze your portfolio and I call it an investment MRI, where I really kind of dig into all their investments and look at all kinds of different things, expense ratios, overlap, et cetera, et cetera. And what I do is I take that to try to educate them and show them a little bit about some of the myths to investing and how they can be much more efficient with what they're doing with their lives. So the biggest thing is taking action and reaching out to me because I love helping people. So send me an email, give me a call, we can set up a meeting, and I can take a little peek at what you're doing with your finances and we can go from there. You know, Walter, another problem that I see is is so many people are so pressed for time. And I don't want that to stop somebody from reaching out to get a little bit of information, education, or help. I have clients that I meet with monthly because they want to meet monthly. I have other clients that are pilots that I've never even met face-to-face but yet I'm managing all of their money and we just talk over you know, the phone or over the internet and that's it. So regardless of your situation, reach out to me and uh, we can discuss. Ryan's email is ryan at flemingfg.com. That's flemingfg.com. Also the website that you can visit for more great information about Ryan, the business, how he can help, the services that he offers. And you can listen to past episodes of the podcast there as well or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Just look for The Pilot's Advisor. And again, that's on flemingfg.com. You can also call or text Ryan at any time. That's right. You can call or text or 21st Century here on the podcast. 843-475-3038 is the number to call or text 843-475-3038. Don't hesitate. If you've got a question, reach out to Ryan. Happy to talk to you about what's going on. Ryan, thanks for the help on today's podcast. Enjoyed the conversation and we'll do it again soon. Sounds great, Walter. All you pilots out there, fly safe. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.